Good morning, everyone, from the real Oan Zendo um, here with Joe and Andrea. Um, and gratitude to all of those who showed up yesterday to set this up. And it really felt like the first stage of our Sangha coming together in person. So um, it was juicy. It was very juicy to be with people uh, in person, even though we didn't need seven or eight people <laughs> to set this up. Somehow people wanted to be together and um, it, it really felt good. So um, many thanks to those of you who were here yesterday. Um, and it feels like I can take a very long vacation from being Doshi because of all the all the wonderful <laughs> Dharma talk topics. So I can just um, retire for a couple of months, but not today. Today I have an offering uh, to you. And in a way it's a little bit personal. Um, not that every Dharma talk isn't personal, but this is a bit more focused on, on me. Um, the topic is the old woman of endless circle. And of course, it is a, um, a branch or a, um, a response to the offering that Ame made uh, last week in which he spoke about this koan, the old woman of Wutai. Not only did Ame donate an amazing new lawnmower to, um, to Owan, but he gave me uh, and Owan a, a, a much greater gift. Um, and that was a teaching. And um, so not only can, can I now mow the lawn here at, at Owan with a really spectacular lawnmower, but I can also now sort of mow the grass within my head, uh, which, was a, which was an equally, uh, if not better gift uh, than, than the lawnmower. When I heard this koan, I was very powerfully drawn to the old woman. By the way, I, it's hard for, I can only see Shulong. Can I see the whole, the whole Sangha? Because I feel like I'm only talking, talking to Shulong, <laughs> which is fine, but I really, oh, there we go. Wonderful. Thank you. All these little glitches, but now I can see everyone. I feel like I'm talking to people in person and on the screen and to myself as well. So I had a very powerful uh, connection with the old woman of Wutai. Of course, there's some obvious reasons for that. Uh, the first one is that I'm old and she was old. And the second one is that I'm a woman. And so those are, those are pretty obvious ones. 
that I'm an old woman and she's an old woman. But also she wasn't named. She was just called the old woman. And in the koan, the Zen master who was Joshu is a very famous Zen master. He was named, but she wasn't named. And it's very common in a Buddhist tradition, despite the fact that Buddha uh, felt that women uh, were worthy of ordination and becoming masters and mistresses, um, they were not they were not honored in the way that men were. So the fact that she doesn't have a name kind of interested me that in, in some sense, she was asked continuously, what is the way to Mount Wutai, which is the mount where Manjushri dwells and Manjushri is the Bodhisattva of wisdom. So these were folks coming by, monks who were coming by asking her to direct them to the mountain, to wisdom, but she didn't have a name. And so there's that sense that even in today's world, um, I, I noticed that I was sent photographs of the Dharma heirs um, of in our lineage, uh, the Kobanchino lineage, and there were no women in the group. Um, and I wrote back to my guiding teacher, something's missing in that group. <laughs> and um, he, he wrote back that he knows, he knows that, that there, there was a woman who was missing. Uh, actually, it was me, but it didn't matter who it was uh, as long as it, it represented uh, women who, didn't, who were no longer nameless who weren't just referred to as that old woman. So it's easy to, um, to look at women as somehow less than um, honorable Zen masters, um, Zen teachers. So that's another sense in which uh, I felt a strong connection with this woman. She also was standing in place and kept her place at the crossroads uh, to this mountain. And monks came and went, they came and went, and they constantly asked her, which is the way to wisdom? And you know, this, um, is it Cole? Did you, were you the one who called Owan, come and go Zendo? <laughs> yeah, come and go Zendo. So, so here I am, an old woman in this place and people come and go 
searching, <laughs> searching and exploring and asking questions. What's the way? Give me some guidance, give me some direction. And they come and they go. And she stands, she stands there at the crossroads, basically in welcoming each, each monk, each, each um, searcher, each explorer, each um, um, aspirant uh, to wisdom um, and entertains their question and gives them some guidance. And what's the guidance? Go straight ahead. Basically, um, I understand that. You know, just sit. Just be fully who you are. You don't have to do anything else than just be fully realized as a human being. There's no special state. There's no top of the mountain to get to. Just go straight ahead. And that is the continual refrain, the constant response. It's the same. It's the same response for each person. So what does she see? Each one takes a few steps. And then she says, oh, he was a good monk and there he goes. Well, from my point of view, what I see so often is that people come, they want some guidance, which way, how do I go? Asking questions and there's a response, go straight ahead. And then there's a few steps taken. And then what I see is people going off in all sorts of different directions, not straight ahead not straight ahead, but going in totally different way than, than I recommended, you know, that you're asked. I'm asked, you know, I give the answer and they take a few steps with that guidance and then no, <laughs> this go this way, this way, this way, never come back, you know, never be seen again. Um, so I asked myself, you know, who is this old woman talking to when she says, oh, they were good monks, but off they go. <laughs> Who's she talking to? Talking to herself. Because so often I find myself saying, this person's really serious, <laughs> you know, this, this person really is dedicated to practice. Um, I really, yeah, got to work with that person. They're, they're, they're making an effort. And then gone, gone. 
either never showing up or going in a completely different direction. And um, so it's just, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, they were good people, but off they go. <laughs> it's, not, um, it's not a criticism particularly, but it's, an it's a very powerful and continual observation that sometimes I feel, <clears throat> don't ask me. <laughs> Just don't ask me. Just go the way you want to go. Don't don't ask me because if you ask me, I'm going to say go straight ahead. And if you want to go in a different way, don't ask my advice. But I know that that's not. I mean, that's my practice. Um, I hear myself saying that, and it's not honorable. It's not honorable for a Dharma teacher <laughs> to be saying, don't ask me. <laughs> it's, it's honorable for a Dharma teacher to say, to give the most authentic response possible. And then as Melody said, let go. <laughs> so you just watch the people go in all their different directions, not paying the slightest bit of attention to what you said. <laughs> And just kind of, okay, they're good people, and off they go. So after a few steps with some guidance, there comes a point in your practice where you, ha you have to say, do I go straight ahead or do I veer off? There always comes a time in your practice when either you're bored, <laughs> totally bored, or you're exhausted, you're too, you know, this is enough. Or you reach some kind of barrier of aversion. I don't like bowing. I don't like chanting. I don't like the length of, you know, sitting periods. There's some complaint that comes in. This, there's something wrong with this practice or impatience, as Michelle mentioned. I've been sitting for X number of months. Some people come, you know, they, they sit for two weeks and they say, nothing happened. <laughs> you know? Why, nothing happened. I'm not enlightened yet. And so off they go, <laughs> off they go, a good monk very well-intentioned, but off they go because they're impatient or they're tired or they're frustrated or they're, um, they have full of doubt. What am I doing this for? <laughs> I'm just sitting here doing nothing when I could be so productive. There's so many barriers, roadblocks, and you start moving with those few steps and then something happens and you don't go straight ahead. You go, go all different directions. So um, I discovered that I do the same, I've done the same thing. 
as a Dharma teacher, that I have, I have made a vow, a number of vows, to be as authentic a teacher as I possibly can be, to move straight ahead. And what I have done is to be too um, permissive. I think a couple of months ago, we were talking about what each of us is working on. And I said that I'm working on being sort of a meaner, <laughs> a more, a, a stronger and a, um, kind of more uh, aggressive and, 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 and committed Dharma teacher. And what I was tending to do was allow people to just go in whatever direction they wanted to go, not straight ahead, but, oh, you know, out of, out of fear that a Sangha member would be lost or out of um, doubt that I was, was I really, was, was my teaching um, authentic? You know, was I really passing on Buddha's teachings? And so because of that doubt, I just allowed people to just do whatever they wanted to do because I didn't have enough confidence in saying shikantaza, straight ahead. And so this was a tremendous gift that Ame brought to me that to be able to examine, to look deeply at, was I going straight ahead? Or was I too, somebody might say about me, um, well, she's a well-intentioned Dharma teacher, but there she goes. <laughs> she's kind of wandering off and just letting, letting, the, letting her students do whatever they want to do, not insisting that Joe start his sewing or otherwise go, go your way. You don't want to sew? You don't want to start sewing? You're no longer my student. It's not, it's not in me to do that. But am I being faithful to my vow to go straight ahead and to be an authentic teacher? So From my point of view, many people come with different aspirations and different needs to Oan. And many people come because they just, they want, um, they want to participate in, in the fad of Zen. You know, that it's very popular, mindfulness practice, very popular and you want to be in, you know, you want to be fashionable, <laughs> you know, you want to 
you you want to get like the newest technology you know you want to get the newest spiritual practice and i often say okay that's what you want all right fine or you come people come with um like uh, anxiety disorder and they want a therapy okay you want a temporary fix for your anxiety all right, here's meditation. You can do that. So some people want it as a therapy. Some people want it as a fad. Some people want it as a, um, a cult. <laughs> you know, you want to be, you know, really special. Like Tibetan Buddhists are ten, ten in this direction. Secret teachings that only advanced practitioners are able to access. So some people think, you know, Zen is just something for, or Buddhist practice is something for just a very elite group. So it's either a fad and everybody's doing it or only a few people are doing it. So it's, it's really extra special or it's a therapy. No. <laughs> It is a way of living. It's a way of living your life straight ahead with full presence. The book that we're starting to um, read now, the uh, Opening the Hand of Thought in book study, Uchiyama Roshi compares practice to the ripening of a persimmon. The initial fruit of a persimmon, it's a hard, tough fruit. And if you bite into it, it is extremely, um, uh, astringent. It's, it, it'll make your mouth burn. <laughs> you cannot eat a persimmon, which just comes off the tree. It has a lot of tannins in it, kind of, it's sort of toxins, so could be even called poisons. But over time, under the right conditions, the persimmon ripens into something sweet and soft. Under the right conditions, this is Zen practice. We come to practice hard and um, with what we call the three poisons, greed, attachment, anger, aversion, hatred, and delusion, ignorance. And these three poisons, we're in, we're in a state of 
the persimmon just having fallen off the tree. And we need to ripen. We need to, um, under the right conditions, transform those poisons into sweetness, into transforming greed and attachment into care, into loving kindness, into the desire to help. So it's not a self-centered desire, but it gets transformed into the desire to serve. And aversion, the poison of aversion, that toxin in the unripe persimmon gets transformed into the um, avoidance of doing harm, to be averse to doing harm. And ignorance gets transformed, ripens into non-discrimination, that we don't see the other in other people. We don't see that. We see our interconnectedness. So, <clears throat> so our practice is the practice of ripening, of becoming fully human, becoming fully who we are. And this is done under the right conditions. Persimmons can just rot you know, if they're not, if they're not ripening under the proper conditions. Or some never really get ripe. They just remain hard and they shrivel up into a, a hard nugget. So what are the right conditions for ripening? Shikantaza. That's it. Just sitting. If you continue to sit and after these few first steps of with guidance, there comes a point when you have to take it on yourself. You have to make that commitment. The teacher, the old woman is now behind you. You're moving ahead. She's behind you. And it's she's no longer there to push you. She can't pull you. She can't push you. She can't put a, a leash around your neck and lead you on, you have to make that decision after those steps. You have to make that decision to move forward straight ahead. And it's, it's not something that you do alone. You make that decision alone. But we have, a, we have teachings. We have a sangha. We have practice. But from that point after those few steps that you put your toe in the water and you've given it a try either you just give up or 
make it a therapy or make it a, a, a fad or make it a cult instead of just making it your life. It's just your life. It's becoming fully, fully human, who you are. And Shikantaza provides the right conditions for your ripening. That is, if you ask me, <laughs> if you ask me the way, this is going to be my answer. From now on, I go straight ahead, <laughs> go straight ahead as best I can. But you know, this, this practice is offering, I think somebody, um, describe this as um, practicing like a bee stuck in honey. It's a wonderful way of living. It is the most wonderful way of ripening and becoming a sweet persimmon. <laughs> a sweet, soft, ripe, fully human fruit of this earth. Thank you. Press. <laughs>